And now it is my privilege to, to introduce to some of you Carl Dennis. This man and his family have been with us since we opened our church. I remember the conversation we had sitting up in that upper room over there at Raspberry, just talking and dreaming about what God is going to do here at what used to be Change Point Northeast and now Life Spring. And so, Carl, it's my honor today to welcome you to our pulpit. Uh, I know you're a man after God's own heart. Uh, I also know that the Lord is going to use you to speak a word uh, that's right now for us, relevant for where we are and uh, practical for what we need to do. And so would you stretch your hands toward Carl as I pray over him before he begins to minister? Father, we bless you. What an awesome, awesome privilege we have to hear from you, to hear your word in an environment that is unrestricted and uninhibited. It can just flow free. And so, Father, I pray right now in this moment that I know my brother has worked, he's prayed, he's studied, he's practice. He's done everything to prepare. And now I just pray, Lord, that you will infiltrate his mind and his words and relax him and let your word flow so free out of him that, wow, he'll just say, wow, I was just free in Christ to minister today. And so thank you for what you're going to say to us through this man. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Call, welcome to our pulpit. Test, test, am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. I asked Pastor if you were wondering what I whispered in his ear. I said, do I have to preach from the perch? But uh, there was no other, there's no other stand, and I got notes to spread out. So, uh, you, you know, Pastor reminded me, uh, you have these flashback memories. And <clears throat> I remember my wife and my youngest son, Nathan, who's sitting over there next to my nephew, Mark, um, they told me they were going to this meeting at uh, the main campus on Raspberry, and it's about starting a new church, and, and they were telling me they felt led to go. And so guess what? If they felt led to go, where am I going? I mean, I'm going with them, right? So we had a big dinner there to kick it off. Remember, Pastor? There was a lot of people there, and there were a lot of tables and stuff. And I don't think Pastor and I had ever met before that night. But we went in there, and um, we were a little late, you know. Now, Pastor, he's going to wait till everybody's got food. He's just like that. He's going to wait and make sure everybody can eat, you know. So we were late. We were one of the last ones to come through, and we sat down at a table way off, you know, from everybody, really. And who comes and sits down next to me or at our table but Pastor? And we struck up a conversation. Now, I don't really know how he feels about that conversation, but I feel like our hearts were knit that night. I, I really believe that. And, and um, I appreciate our pastor. I love him. And uh, Pelzetta, thank you for being our pastors and uh, for loving us the way you do and serving God on our behalf the way you do. I want to take just one more minute to indulge myself here and say that I'm real happy that uh, my son Aaron, my oldest son, is here and his beautiful uh, my beautiful Texas daughter-in-law, Amy, is here. Abigail, wave Abigail. <laughs> Abigail was my first granddaughter, and she loves me more than bacon. Now, <laughs> I made that up, but I like it. I like bacon. So, and then Asa, wave Asa. And little Avalon, wave Avalon. All right. Um, my family, they, they came to hear us today, came to be with us. And uh, Nathan's been around since before. And... Uh, <laughs> A long time. Y'all Nathan, you know. So two of my three children, three of my five grandchildren are here. One of my nephews is here. And, and you know, there's a lot of people that aren't here today because they're out celebrating the 4th of July holiday weekend. And that's understandable, isn't it? Did you pray that God would protect them and watch over them while they're out there? I don't care if it rains on them. I mean, you know, <laughs> they're not here. So <laughs> a little water never hurt anybody, right? <laughs> All right, having said all that, Pastor called me a number of weeks ago. We, we recently were down in Florida. My, my wife's wonderful Christian mother passed away, and we were down there for the funeral. And, and you know, uh, she was a great mother. She was a great, wonderful grandmother. She was, above all, she was a good Christian woman. And so she went to be with Jesus. 
She's okay today. Amen? Can you say amen? Pastor called me while we were down there and asked me if I would preach today, and he told me the passage of Scripture in the Servant King series was going to be from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to. And it's the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And uh, I said, that's great. I said, God's already given me the points of the message, and he had. And I, I didn't know why I had these three points running around in my head, but when I heard about the Syrophoenician woman from Pastor, I immediately thought of those three points. I even told Pastor, here's my points, you know. I even turned around and preached the sermon to my boys in the back seat. And uh, when, when, when we were finished, Nathan said, Dad, I just have one recommendation for you. He said, please don't say the words in closing because you don't. <laughs> and, uh, and, then I, and then Aaron spoke up and said, Dad, didn't they name a set of blinds after that woman? I said, no, it's Sour Phoenician, not Venetian. So, so my boys, you know, they took it all real serious for me and stride. They, they keep me humble, you know. But um, let's read the passage of Scripture together this morning. At verse 24 in Mark chapter 7, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. How many of you know Jesus wasn't real good at that hiding thing? <laughs> but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Father, once again, I want to thank you for this story. Thank you for these words. Bring them to life in us today. May no one leave here today without being touched by the words of this Scripture passage, Father. Touch us, change us, lead us, guide us, direct us. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, every time that someone, every time that someone sets down, they begin to study a passage of Scripture, and they begin to dig around, uh, you, you learn different things, and you wonder, and you pray. You know, God, is this part of the message, or is that part of the message? And one of the things you do is, Lord, what do I call this thing? <laughs> you know, what do I call the message? What do I title it? And one of the places that I looked, I kept reading over and over again that this woman uh, was Syrophoenician. She was from the area of Phoenicia. She was probably Syrian. But one of the things that stood out to me was that the Greek culture was very strong in the area where this woman lived. And she might have even been a Greek citizen. Uh, and, and maybe that's just a little stretch, but the reason why I, I mention it to you today is because when I heard the word Greek, I knew the woman had heard of the mythological character Hercules. How many of you ever heard of Hercules? When I was a kid growing up, you want to grow up to be Hercules, only you can't. <laughs> you can't grow up to be Hercules. Hercules was the son of a human woman and Zeus, the god Zeus, supposedly. And that accounted for his great, great, tremendous human strength or supernatural strength. But I did think about this woman and this act that she carried out, this thing that she did, and I believe that this woman had a Herculean type of faith. And that's why I titled the message Herculean Faith. <clears throat> and that's the reason why I titled it the way I titled it. Um, for the next few minutes, I want to take an opportunity to kind of treat you like we're in court. I used to be uh, a homicide detective, and, and uh, when you, you investigate a homicide case, you look at the evidence, you know, you present it to the district attorney, they take it to court, and lawyers argue the evidence in court. I want to lay out for you why I believe what I believe about this passage of Scripture and uh, see if we can't learn something together. One of the first words that came to my mind when I talked to the pastor on the phone and the three points of the messages, one, was this woman's attitude. Obviously, this woman had a positive attitude towards Jesus. Well, you might, you might ask why, and I, and I hope you are thinking that. I want to I show you why. How many of you have ever, how many of you grew up in the South? Anybody grew up in the South? How about your mothers in the South? Did they ever tell you, don't give me attitude? Oh, yeah. You know. 
I had a friend of mine that grew up in Texas in my generation. He grew up in Texas, and I was trying to tell him a funny story, and I started off by asking him, did you ever roll your eyes at your mama? And he immediately said, not all the way. And, and, and after that, I didn't tell my story. I, I cracked. That was hilarious. Not all the way because his mama, that was attitude. That was negative attitude, and his mama dealt with it. I remember in my own home, I had all these. Remember the plastic tumblers you used to have uh, in my generation? You, you know, I had a whole bunch of them out on the kitchen counter, and I was putting ice in them. We had company, family, and friends were there. And my mother was barking at me to get me to fill those glasses with ice, you know, and get ready. And, and, and I was angry because company was there. There were cousins there. There were friends there. And I wanted to go have fun. Well, I was at a certain age, little male figure in the home. And I decided that mom was pushing me a little too hard, you know. And she told me to hurry up. And I told her, I'm going fast as I can. Now, the next thing I remember, my next job responsibility <laughs> was to clean all that up, get up off that floor, clean all that up, you know, wash all those glasses, get out more ice, put them down, because I had given my mama negative attitude. Oh, yeah. And mama was quick to deal with that. This Syrophoenician woman was exactly the opposite. She was exactly the opposite. She produced, for Jesus Christ, positive attitude in the face of a very demoralizing detail. Pretty, pretty powerful stuff. The scripture reference that makes a brief but powerful statement is in verse 25 where it says that she heard of him. She heard of him. Even if all you do is stick with the book of Mark, what is it possible that she heard? Here's a recap. In Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, Jesus healed a man of an unclean spirit. In Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 32, Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law and then proceeded to heal so many people that the Bible doesn't even bother trying to give a number to those healed. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, Jesus cleansed a leper. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus healed a paralytic. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand. Mark chapter 4, verses 35, 35 through 41, Jesus gave marching orders to a storm. I like that story. I like it. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, Jesus set legion free. Can you say amen? Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, Jesus not only healed a woman who had touched his garment... But he followed that up by healing Jairus' daughter, which the neat thing about that was she was dead when he got to her. But he raised her from the dead. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. But hold on. The Scripture says 5,000 men. Look around the room and tell me how many more women and children are here than men. So how many did he feed? No one knows. But even if the children matched the number and the women matched the number, he fed at least 15,000 people. Five loaves and two fish. Do you think people would hear about that? You think she maybe heard that story? We're just sticking with the narrative in Mark. We're sticking with the things that Mark you know, God inspired Mark to record those things that he saw. He saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And do you think the people talked about that? And it says, she heard of him. The Syrophoenician woman had heard of him. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52, Jesus walked on water. Mark chapter 6, verse 53 through 56 Jesus, and this one is so powerful, and how do we miss these things? I don't get it. I, I just went back and read it through again last night and just, and just pinned these things out. Mark chapter 6, verse 53 through 56, Jesus healed everyone in the region of Gennesaret that touched his garment. And it mentioned villages, towns, and cities. Everyone that could get to Jesus and touch his garment was healed. Now, I'm just sticking with the narrative in Mark. I can't help but believe that this woman was well aware 
of at least some of these stories. Because I don't want to be guilty of stretching here. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, you know, what I'm reading and what I'm seeing and, and what I believe God's saying to my heart, right? What do you know about Jesus? What he has done for others, might he do them for you? What is your attitude towards Jesus? The sad truth is there's a lot of people who believe and know that Jesus has done a lot of good things for a lot of people, but he doesn't do much for me. Some people have a negative attitude towards Jesus, that Jesus wouldn't answer their prayers, or that Jesus might just tell them no all the time. My, my problem is just the opposite. I know Jesus loves me more than he loves you. <laughs> I mean, that's my problem. I'm way at the other end of the spectrum. I know he loves me more than everybody in the room. I remember a story of a woman who passed away that, that had 12 children. And at her funeral, all 12 of them stood up and talked about their mama and told everybody in the room why they knew they were the ones she loved most. Because mama, their mama had a gift for letting each and every child know they were special and that she loved them very, very, very much. Well, guess what? I'm just one of those goofy people that runs around looking for all those reasons why Jesus loves me more than everybody else in the world. Does he? No. You know that, and I know that, but I can't help but believe I'm special. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look at what all he does for us. Look at, we're in this room together today. We just had a good little laugh together. What a precious gift from God laughter is. He loves us so much, he created us in his image, and laughter is part of that. Amen? All I can do is tell you that he loves me a lot. I know that. But he loves you too. He loves you just as much as he loves me. You think that Jesus can't multitask all this love? <laughs> you think he can't be as interested in your life as he is mine? He is. He loves you. So this woman's attitude, though, when she came in, she, I, I, she had heard of him. It was locked down on the inside of her. He had done all of these things for other people. He may do it for my daughter. He may help my daughter. The second point to this message is preparation. Obviously, this woman was prepared to respond to anything Jesus might say about her request. Well, how do I know? In verse 27, Jesus tells the woman that it's not right to give the bread that belongs to the children to the dogs. Stop right there. Just got, we got to pause here for a minute. How many people do you know would have gotten up then and walk, <clears throat> walked out of that place? It chokes me up to think about it. Walked out of that place and just spent the rest of her life telling everybody she came across, I took my deepest need to Jesus, and he called me a dog. He called me a dog. Didn't Jesus know that's not politically correct to call people dogs, <laughs> you know? But he called her a dog. I've heard a lot of theologians uh, take a lot of time to explain this away. How many of you believe that when she walked in the room, Jesus knew what her need was? How many of you believe that Jesus knew that she was not Jewish? He knew it, didn't he? How many of you know, really, you know, when I went to play football in high school, one of the first questions the coach asked us is, do you know the difference between offense and defense? And a bunch of people laughed. Well, some of them didn't laugh because some of them didn't know what the difference between offense and defense was. They just wanted to play football. You know what I'm saying? But in Christian world, if you ask people, do you know what a Gentile is, some people don't know. How many of you know what a Gentile is? Anybody that's not Jewish. Anyone. That's everybody else in the world. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile, right? Now, in, in this world that we live, if you look at the history of Israel, the nation's history was this, that when the hand of God rested, God's blessing rested on the children of Israel, there wasn't an army in the world that could stand before them. They were more powerful than any people group on earth, which meant that they were more powerful than all the Gentiles in the world. This was their heritage. That's what they were used to. Fast forward to this period of time where Jesus is walking the face of the earth, and now the Gentiles rule in Israel. And the hand of oppression from the Roman Empire is heavy and cannot be beaten at this time. 
It was one of the reasons why Jesus was rejected was because he refused at this time to come as a military leader. He came as the servant king, not the general of a mighty army. And, and it was one of the reasons why he was rejected the way he was. Now, why am I saying all that? Well, this, this Gentile woman who is in the eyes of the Jewish people, five points below plant life. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that's how she was, how, how she was treated. She knew that the Jews felt that way about her, but she was prepared for anything like that that would come out of Jesus' mouth. If you ever... If he, how many of you know you can trust Jesus, though? You ever, you ever worry about the, the, the direction our country's going in? Don't trust the elephant. Don't trust the donkey. Trust the lion. Amen? People, you can trust Jesus. How many of you believe you can trust that Jesus knew what he was doing here? He knew exactly what he was doing. But the woman came in a humble manner. She bowed down, and she begged for her daughter, and Jesus just called her a dog. How many of you remember the story in John chapter 4 about the woman at the well? I just want to briefly mention it here because this is a woman who um, showed up at the well to get water all by herself, all by her lonesome. Jesus is the only person there, and if you remember the story, Jesus had sent the disciples into town to buy food. You remember that? But Jesus knew what was about to happen. This woman was going to show up. She was going to be getting water out of the well. And Jesus asked her, while you're getting water out of the well, why don't you get me a drink? Now, she's stunned. She's a Samaritan. Talk about not only is she a Samaritan, she has... You know, I've been married five times. The man she's living with now is not her husband. She knows that, hey, listen to me. This woman went to the well at a time when most women go to the well together. It was the most social event of the day. The women traveled out there together. They got water, and they, and they uh, socialized with each other. Yet she was ostracized. She went by herself. I mean, I believe life was tough on this woman. But she shows up. And she gets water for Jesus because he asked for it, but she's amazed. If this, you know, this man, this is amazing. What's this Jewish man doing asking this Samaritan woman for water, right? And, and she gets water for him, and she serves it to him, and he drinks the water and says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water, and I would give you water, and you would never thirst again. Well, she begins to talk about the well and so forth and so on, and, and he shares a few things with her, and I'm trying to keep the story short here because I'm a little off track, but pastor's praying for me that I get back on track, okay? <clears throat> but he says to the woman, um, go into town. He baits her. Jesus is pretty smart. He says, go into town and get your husband and, and bring him out. I want to meet him. She goes, oh, well, I'm not married. He said, thou hast well said. I love it in the King James Version. Thou hast well, well said that you're not married. The man you're living with now, you've been married five times, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Now, it amazes me that when Jesus plays, you know, lays some information on the table, tells you something that only God would know, you know what I'm saying? Um, that he had no way of knowing this, and her IQ instantly leaps a few points. And she says, I perceive the dollar profit. <laughs> to me, that just strikes me as being funny. Jesus reveals something to her that only her mama would know and God would know or, or whatever, close people to her life. And she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And the woman goes on into town and tells everybody this message because Jesus said something to her and changed her life. She said, come to the well and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. He changed her life in that one meeting. And they all came out to meet him. There were disciples in town getting food. They weren't bringing anybody with them, <laughs> you know. But she was a Samaritan. She was a Gentile, and she was low on the scale of Gentiles. I want to read to you what I got out of this commentary that I like. It said, this was an extraordinary woman. She was a Samaritan, a race of people that the Jews utterly despised as having no claim on their God. That was big. That was huge. And she was an outcast and looked down upon by her own people. This is evidenced by the fact that she came alone to draw water, 
from the community well when during biblical times drawing water and chatting at the well was a social high point of a woman's day. However, this woman was ostracized and marked as immoral, an unmarried woman living openly with the sixth in a series of men. The story of the woman at the well teaches us that God loves us in spite of our bankrupt lives. God values us enough to actively seek us, to welcome us to intimacy, and to rejoice in our worship. As a result of Jesus' conversation, only a person like the Samaritan woman, an outcast from her own people, could understand what this means to be wanted, to be cared for when no one, not even herself, could see anything of value in her. This is grace indeed. Now I need to get back to the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus did call her a dog. Can you say amen? (laughs) I mean, he did, didn't he? He called her a dog, right? You can't, you know, I've heard, I've heard theologians try to downgrade that or dismiss it or no, no, no. He called her a dog, okay? Um, I was curious when I considered the question of, you know, what kind of dog (laughs) did Jesus call her? That's, that's what weird thinkers do. It's what investigators do. Well, if he called her a dog, and you look at the original language, was there a specific kind of dog? I mean, if he called her a German shepherd, I mean, German shepherd's cool, right? Police dog, service dog, nice-looking form, color, nice, serves a great purpose, you know? Uh, even in court, if you have a lawyer that's very, very, uh, you know, uh, strong, and he, and he has a great personality, and he convinces the jury, and he's very, you know, stubborn in a professional way, and you call him like a bulldog, right? That lawyer's a bulldog in court. He's a bulldog. <clears throat> you would think, well, what if he, you know, called her one of them, you know, real fancy long-haired dogs with two coats and all this stuff? No, no, no. You know what he called her? I, I looked it up. It, to me, it was kind of funny because he called her a little dog. He called her a little dog. How many of you have ever met the little dog before? And my, my friend Ernie had a little dog that was a cross between a rat and a piranha. I mean, <laughs> it was about this big. But it ruled its little world, you know. And it never liked me. Ernie, I grew up with Ernie's family, and he's my best friend. But that little dog did not like me. That little dog. And the little dog would get under the table, and he would beg for food. I never fed him. I have all my fingers, right? But Ernie and his brothers and sisters would slip food to the little tyrant under the table, feed him crumbs. Maybe you've got a little dog that likes to sit on the table. Maybe you'd like to feed the little dog. But this is the kind of dog that Jesus called her a little nuisance dog. Now, we know, we, we've got the hindsight. We know the end of the story. We can look back on it, and we think, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. You know, he called her a nuisance dog, but it, it wasn't good. And the, and the response she had was so dynamic. It was so dynamic. <clears throat> what she did was respond to him, yeah, she agreed. She didn't argue. How many of you know that if you, you know, if you beat a horse until it's down and then you keep beating it, you ain't getting nothing more than a down horse. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and so once the horse goes down, she never, she never got up. She was kneeling to start with. She said, yes, didn't she? Yes. But even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs from underneath the table. You know what amazes me about her? When I say, you say, well, Brother Dennis, aren't you stretching a little? You say she went there prepared. For her to be able to give an answer so readily and so dynamic, she was prepared. That's my evidence. She was prepared. And what was she prepared for? She was prepared for him to say something about her being a Gentile, not being Jewish, and maybe not deserving of this answer to her prayer, her petition, right? But you know what I think is even more important than that? And I want you to listen very carefully to this because this problem is rampant throughout the body of Christ in America today. She went there choosing that no matter what happens, I will not embrace offense. I will not be offended. We live, and listen, you know this is a nice thing about my ministry for 14 years is takes me away half the month of the year. I don't minister to this many people at a time anymore. I minister to one or two people at a time. 
But I have the privilege of being here with you today, and very few of you really know me, and I don't really know you, so I can say things, and I'm not throwing rocks at you. It's not personal. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ in America. I'm not just talking about here. People are too easily offended, and they embrace offense. They hold it to their chest, and they allow it to keep them from receiving anything from God. I, I love you enough to tell you this. You need to know it. You need to hear it. You need to, let, you need to let go of that offense. Well, brother, you know, this is one of the reasons why it's so dangerous for me to do counseling where I work because I don't like counseling. I don't like counseling. I like teaching people how to live by this book. If you sit and listen to people's problems, what they want to do is convince you as a counselor that if you would just hear my story, you would tell me it's okay to be offended. If you just hear me, they want to hear me say, well, now that I've heard the details of your story, I, I warn most people that being offended and being bitter can you open, open you up to all kinds of problems, including any number of things, cancer, I don't care what. I mean, you just open yourself up to attack. If you embrace offense and you live a bitter life, you're, you're placing yourself in danger. So you can't take it personal because I don't know you that well. I don't know who is and who isn't, but maybe somebody here needs to hear it. You need to let go of it and get your prayers answered. You need to reach a point where even when you don't understand why God's doing what he's doing in your life, you just stick with him anyway. You stay with him. How many of you believe that God is smarter than you are? He's pretty smart, isn't he? How many of you think he knows the score? She said to him, yes, Lord, yes, I agree. I'm just a little nuisance dog. But even, what a comeback. Even the little dogs under the table get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Well, let me ask you a question. The crumbs that end up down there under the table, were they made from a different recipe than the food that's on top of the table? No, same food, just smaller portions. It's just a matter of portion, not a matter of content. You know, what's in it, what's in the recipe. How many of you know, how many of you ever, you found that crumb at the end and, and ate that crumb and it was delicious because it was the last bite, <laughs> you know? She's saying to Jesus, but, but Jesus, what is she doing? She responds to Jesus with a faith statement. She knows that even a crumb from that table will save her daughter's life will set her daughter free. She doesn't choose to be offended and go blind. She's seeing clearly. How many, of you, how many of you believe that Jesus knew the Samaritan woman quite well when she showed up? How many of you believe that Jesus knew this woman quite well when she showed up? Who do you think needed to hear the answer to his, to his question to her? Who, who needed to hear it? Everybody else in the room and everybody else in this room today. Everyone who's ever read the story needed to hear how she responded correctly to him calling her a dog. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He always has, and he always will. And he knows you, and he loves you just as much as he loves me. Now, listen to me. He loves me a lot. Okay? I'm, I'm convinced. Okay? You know what? That's what I like. Man, I tell you, I said that one time in a church, and everybody had their Bibles open, and they were looking at it. And I said, how many of you know that Jesus loves me more than he loves you? And, and, and everyone in the room looked up at me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> at, at the same time, I thought, oh, wait, calm down now. <laughs> let, let me explain myself. <laughs> Everyone should feel like they're special in the eyes of Jesus Christ, and he should. Every one of us should. Amen? All right, what did this woman's effort produce? Obviously, this woman's effort produced very, a very positive outcome. Can you say amen? How many of you know that, that, that her daughter was set free? Jesus said, at your statement. Because of what she said, your daughter's set free. Amen? For this statement, 
You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Dynamic. Her daughter was set free. All the people within earshot of this incident learned that Jesus did not feel the same way about Gentiles as most Jews of that day did. Another thing they learned. As a matter of fact, Jesus took advantage of the opportunity to teach those in attendance as well as all the people who have read this story to learn how Jesus responds to true faith. I mentioned two women today. Syrophoenician woman. They had the right attitude. Can you say amen? She was prepared. Are you prepared for any answer that God gives you to your prayer? You know, I would have loved to have been the kind of man of faith that, that knelt down and prayed for my mother-in-law and, that, and, and God heal her of her stroke and give her back to us. But God chose to take mom home. How many of you know, and, and, and Ruthie and I have come to grips with that. How many of you know that's okay? It's okay. How many of you know God knew what he was doing with my mother-in-law? He loved her enough to bring her home. We're all going to go home somehow, some way, someday. We're all going to go home. Can you handle it no matter what the answer to your prayer is? You need to. You need to be prepared to do that. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If you've watched me, I love to pray. Have you noticed that? I love to pray. You know what the greatest prayer anyone can ever pray is? God help me. I know who I'm talking to. I know what I need. And I know who needs it. <laughs> God help me. God help me. My wife heard me pray it several different ways while I was stuck underneath a vanity sink thing trying to do a DIY, do-it-yourself disaster project at the house. I pray that one a lot in many different ways, okay? God help me, right? But are you prepared for whatever answer God gives you? She was. I know she was. She was prepared to answer, even if he made... What we'd, we'd call that a racist statement today, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? It's a racist statement he made to her. We know how sensitive we are today to those things, and we should be. Amen? We should be. But is there anything, you have to make me mind, there's nothing that God could say to me or nothing that Jesus would say to me that would make me go away, make me be offended. Why in the world would you leave the only ship that floats? The only one that's guaranteed to float, but yet there are maybe hundreds of thousands of people wandering around that are just hurt so bad because of something that happened to them in church. Somebody said something, somebody did something, and they separated themselves from the answers to their prayers. It's not worth it. I can tell you right now, ain't nobody in this room worth me walking away from the answer to my prayers, you know? I can't help you or do anything for you if I walk away from God's answer to my prayers. I may not like all of them. I may not like the way he does all of them. I mentioned two women. I'm going to say, in closing, Nathan, in closing. <laughs> this isn't being filmed, is it? I, I, when I think of women in the Bible, the Syrophoenician woman is so exciting because after pastor called me and said, I want you to preach on the Syrophoenician woman. And then I told my boys, hey, I got the sermon message for this. And I preached this to them. And then the next day we went to my mother-in-law's funeral. And the scripture text for the day was from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30 of the Syrophoenician woman. So I know that, fast forward to today, somebody needs this. Somebody needs this. You know, if I had lived in the, in the day of Jesus Christ, what an honor it would have been when, when God's inspiring all these guys to write down the Bible if your name got mentioned. Now, that's so far from the truth for me because just about everybody in my family has got a Bible name but me. You don't find Carl in the Bible. You do, but not by Carl. I'm a child of God. Amen. But I want to just read one more little passage of Scripture in closing that I want to reference. It's from Mark 14, 3 through 9. I, I got it here, so bear with me for a few more minutes. Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he's in another house, and a woman's going to approach him again. Another woman's going to approach him, all right? And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came 
with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask. This is, that's important. She broke that flask. It's not ever going to be used again. You know what that tells me as one who looks at evidence? This woman knew exactly what she was doing. Not only did Jesus say what she was doing, but he confirmed to me that she knew what she was doing. See, see, Jesus was telling his disciples over and over and over by this time, the time of my departure is at hand, and they didn't believe me. He said, you can destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. They didn't get it. This little woman, she got it. She heard it and she understood. Watch. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke that flask and she poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. Something she understood that they did not. Jesus had told them and told them and told them. But he hadn't pierced the void. There are a lot of people hard-headed and thick-skulled like that in the world. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And the evidence that she knew that was she broke that flask and never be used again. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We just fulfilled scripture in this room today. I thought it would be a good end with her today in this message. Three women that approached Jesus. Three women's lives touched by Christ. Nothing stood in the way. There was nothing they'd allow to stand in the way. That, that, that last woman anointing him, that was a very personal thing that she did to prepare his body for death and burial. Several questions, and, and this is it. What is your attitude towards Jesus? What is your attitude towards Jesus? You look at me today, and, and you had a smile on your face when I said that Jesus loves me more than he loves you, and you know why I said it. Everybody in the room ought to feel that way. Jesus wants you to feel that way. Jesus wants you to believe that no matter how busy he gets, he still has you at the center of his heart and mind. It's true. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for you right now, this very moment. Right now, you, not, not, when I say not me, yeah, yeah, me too, but you, you know, okay, me more than you, all right? <laughs> no, it's you, it's you. What's your attitude towards Jesus? Is it positive? Do you believe what I just said? You can reject it. You can wash it down the drain. I don't want you to, though. I want you to let it in, let it sink in. Are you prepared for whatever God's answer to your prayer request may be? Are you prepared for it? You know, and that goes from one end of the spectrum where that woman's response, boom, God responded to it, Jesus responded to it, and because of her statement, Jesus said, go your way. Your, your, your daughter's free. That's your statement. But there's the other end of the spectrum where can God say no? Yeah, he can, can he? God can say no. I, but I think that we're more willing to accept that God would say no than we are that he might say yes. How many of you believe like I do that God's looking for a group of people that are willing to believe him for magnificent things? See, I'm, I'm, I'm your, I want to be your favorite weirdo. I want to be your favorite weirdo. You want to hang out with me? Then you ought to know the way I think. You know why I pray the way I do. I, I think the way I think and pray the way I pray because I believe that in this country there is another, yet another great revival for this country that will infect an entire generation. Jesus can come back today. I don't, you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. I remember asking 
an eighth grade class of boys. How many of you want to go to heaven? Everybody in the room, me, 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 except one little boy. One little boy didn't raise his hand. I said, son, don't you want to go to heaven? And he looked at me in very concern. He said, Pastor, Mama said, I got to come home right after Sunday school. I said, son, I'm not trying to get a busload together today <laughs> to go. I just want to know, do you want to go to heaven someday? You know, Jesus can come today. Even so, come now, Lord Jesus. But couldn't this country use one more great revival that affects a generation? That's how weird I am. That's what I believe. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But how about one more great big outpouring of your Holy Spirit one more time that turns an entire nation around. You know, it, it's really simpler than it sounds. You know, Scripture in the Bible says, what, what did God say? He told the children of Israel, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. God will hear their prayer and he'll heal their land. See, this is a sad truth. And no one talks about it. If the country's in bad shape today, it's not because of the unsaved. Not their fault. It's the children of God. Because they don't, they don't pray. They don't turn from their wicked ways. They don't harm themselves and pray. Don't turn from their wicked ways. That's why... What, what do you hear, Pastor, when you hear me pray more often than anything else? God forgive us for our sins and our shortcomings. Prayed it just yesterday, didn't I? Why? Because I'm messed up. Outside of Jesus, I'm messed up. <laughs> you know? But he loves me anyway. So I talk to God all about it. Are you ready? Last question. Are you ready to make the effort necessary to find out if you're prepared? Are you ready for that? Pastor, the only thing I forgot was the poem. I promised him three points in a poem, and I blew that. No poem. But God's telling me he wants me to pray for you today. You, you, you okay if I pray for you? Stand up with me then. And after I pray, I'm going to turn it over to the worship team and to Mike. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of dwelling for a little while in your word. Thank you, Father, that your word was read. It was read aloud in this room. It was, it was sent out. Like casting our bread on the water is not going to return void. Water, the word is powerful, Father. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it works. It is what I call the working word. Thank you for the working word in our lives today. Father, we are your people. We proclaim it. We know it. You know it. We are your people. Forgive us for our sins and our shortcomings. Forgive us for disappointing you. Forgive us for letting you down. And in so doing, forgive us for being poor citizens. But Father, I, I want to follow that up with thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If, we, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we've confessed Him with our mouths, we believe that He's the Son of God, that that he died on the cross for our sins. Father, that you raised him from the dead and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We are your children. Good, bad, or indifferent. Father, may we be keenly aware of all that you want to accomplish in our lives. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and shortcomings and cleansing us afresh and anew with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We look to the lion, not the elephant, not the donkey. We look to the lion for the help in our country, for the direction of our nation. We lift our nation up to you. We pray for our leaders. We ask in Jesus' name that you would intervene in their lives. Father, you said that if your people would humble themselves and pray and turn from the wicked ways, you'd hear our prayers and you'd heal our land. So I want to thank you for healing our land. I want to thank you, Father, because I'm one of those guys that goes around talking about the great revival to come. And I know that it'll either be the great revival to come or you're just going to come get your people and take them home. Either way, we can't lose. We can't lose. Well, Father, we got up on July the 3rd. This morning we got ready and we came to church. 
But I prayed a prayer, Father, that none of us would come here today and leave without being touched by you. That none of us would leave here today without being changed because you were here. So I'm going to close this time out today in prayer by thanking you, Father, in Jesus' name for hearing our prayer and healing us. Thank you for removing the barriers that have existed in our lives that have stood between us and you and answered prayer. Thank you for setting us free like that little girl that was demon that, that had a demon. She needed to be set free. Her mother loved her so much she went and knelt down and begged Jesus to heal her, to set her free. And when he hurled that insult at her, she stood her ground on the floor before Jesus, agreed with what he said, and turned it back on him and said, even the crumbs off your table would set my little girl free. Once again, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being here together today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, great word, Carl. If you'll stay up here, Mike, if you'll come up here and join us too at the same time. Listen, I don't want to presume anything you know I never do. That's just the conviction that I have in my heart. Maybe you're here and you've never embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Maybe today's your day. Maybe after hearing how God wants to meet you right where you're at. Doesn't require anything special of you, just a heart to surrender to his lordship in your life. Maybe today's your day. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody walking, please, nobody talking. If today is your day to receive Jesus Christ as Lord in your life, and you've never embraced him as Lord and Savior. I want you to slip your hand up. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. This is your opportunity. You'll never be able to stand before God and say you didn't have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. With everyone, We're going to close by singing, I believe. So I want you to come up front. We're going to pray together. It's 4th of July weekend. We're going to pray over a church family. We're going to sing this last song. And then we're going to let you get about your weekend. So pray God's protection provision over.